Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast with me, Neil. And I am delighted today to have Josh from um, Josh at, at Distance Covered to to join me today to have a quick little chat about something that's always kind of um, that was kind of intrigued me. And Josh is a Liverpool fan, and I know you're going to be wondering why is there a Liverpool fan on the podcast? That realistically, it's because they've been through what we what we're going through now at the moment, selling a very saleable asset who was pivotal to their team. But what they did was they invested the money and they've progressed on. So I'm delighted, Josh, to have you on the podcast today. Have a little chat with you and see how how maybe Aston Villa can can benefit from the learnings of of what Liverpool did through the years. No, thanks for the invite, mate. It's uh, it's going to be interesting, one. Looking forward to get into it. Excellent. And some of you guys might recognize the voice. Uh, Josh is a regular contributor with the guys in the Carrot and Blue podcast there um, from the Birmingham Mail with Ashley and Dan and Matt and James. And uh, yeah, as I say, I've, I've, I've seen, I've, I've heard you on those podcasts before and I'm, I'm, you know, I've been intrigued with some of the things that you've said and you've got to, it's always good to get a different mindset and a different, different thought process. But before we go into, into what Liverpool have done, do you want to give us a little synopsis of, do you think Villa were mad to get rid of Grealish? Do you think this is, like, what's your view on that transfer, I suppose, as it uh, as it panned out last week? No, I don't think Villa are mad to do it. I think it's, although it's a painful one, you know, I understand the the emotion attached to it and things like that. You know, us as Liverpool fans have been attached to very, very many players over the years and they haven't even been academy products, really. Some of them have just been signings and we've, we've got very, very attached to him before they eventually left the club. And although it's painful, I think when it comes to the perspective of Villa, I think it ultimately, from a long-term perspective, it does kind of make sense, especially when, if you look at 
what Grealish has become as a player, particularly over the last 12 months, in my opinion. If a player does kind of get to a level where, you know, no disrespect to Aston Villa, but if he kind of outgrows the level Villa are competing at, you know, Grealish is quite clearly a Champions League player. Villa are in the Champions League. Um, so when that kind of happens, you almost have no choice in many ways but to kind of let the player go. And it, it's it's not always a bad thing if you do that, providing you you replace the player in the in the right way, which obviously we've seen Villa attempt to do this summer. Yeah, and I listened to the podcast you did with the guys there uh, about Leon Bailey, and uh, I presume that's probably somebody that you're alluding to there with regards to 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 the business that Aston Villa have done. Um, what's your views on Leon Bailey before I suppose we kick on into into how potentially Villa are going to spend this uh, more of the money that we've recouped? Well, I think you could probably say he's the most interesting of the of the three major signs Villa have made. Obviously, with due to the fact me mainly that he's coming from abroad, so I think when it comes to Buendia, you have you have a degree of certainty really that he's going to perform. Obviously, he's had one season in the Premier League, and in my opinion, he performed really well. Didn't score many, but he he certainly provided a lot for Timu Pukki and stuff. And then when it comes to Danny Ings, proven Premier League player, going to score lots of goals most weeks. So I think Bailey's probably the most interesting player. He's probably the one that you've maybe got the most risk attached to. But then at the same time, the risk is very low, in my opinion, because he's a he's a quality player. He's a good age, doesn't get injured that often. Lots of nice attacking qualities to his game. He can thrive on both flanks. He's quick. Villa haven't really had the threat in behind much over the years. He'll certainly benefit from having that now once he's paired with Buendia, who likes to play these through balls and stuff. So I think when it comes to Bailey, I, li- I like the sign. I think he... Again, it's it's the type of sign that Villa have made this summer where, you know, you could have seen Danny Ings at Spurs or City even. You could have seen Leon Bailey at Liverpool or Spurs. So, Emmy Wendy was was getting chased by Arsenal. So, Villa are getting players in that, you know, the comfortably top six quality for me and, and, and the coming to Aston Villa. Yeah, and that's that's nice to hear from other fans as well because sometimes sometimes you're at risk of being in your own little bubble looking for confirmation bias from other Villa fans to kind of like huddle together and say, oh, we'll be okay, we'll be okay. But when other fans are kind of saying it as well, it's nice to hear because like it's been a, a Phoenix from the Flames kind of piece from Aston Villa, the, the horrible relegation in 2016 um, the, uh, the, and then, you know, growing through the years um, since then really to, to, to be you know, to really running big teams and very successful teams, very close and sometimes beating them last year, you know, and hopefully that, that carries on into next season with these new players. And I suppose moving on to the, to the, Ash, to the, um, to the Grealish uh, transfer again, and just to talk about it, but more so kind of in terms of the, 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 the kind of the, the simultaneous kind of transfer that the tr- Liverpool had with, with Philip Coutinho. Um, it's it's indicative kind of where the cl- club has come that when we got ready to get a Jack Grealish was really only getting into his pomp as Aston Villa player, getting into his stride um, 2016-2017 in the championship. And we've grown with him and he's grown with us. Um, and uh, it's it's now is the time to part ways. And, you know, we can we can kind of feel sorry for ourselves all we want, but we have to get back up on the horse. And we have done so with three transfers so far. But thinking back to those to the time that Liverpool sold Philippe Coutinho, it seemed to be a catalyst for, for the next level or the next era of Liverpool Football Club. Want to talk to us, I suppose, a small bit about what the feeling was around Liverpool with that transfer at the time, because... You know, there had to have been some sort of uncertainty at the time. 
Yeah, well, from my perspective, I, I loved Coutinho. I thought Coutinho mm. was magic. You know, in terms of a player that you want to watch, he was just, as I said, magic on the ball. And he'd do things that just really surprise you. And I suppose typically Brazilian, really. Um, but I think in the way Liverpool fans will have watched Coutinho over the years, it's probably quite similar for, for Grealish. Grealish is probably that player that gets you on the edge of the seat of Villa Park and stuff. Um, but I think both players are, are quite similar as well in the, in the sense that when it comes to Cousinho at the time, he was real. He was such a dominant player in Liverpool's attack. He he just had a, a really large slice of the pie, Cousinho. So he was the type of player who saw lots of the ball, so lots of passes and stuff, but also lots of shots as well. So he's, he's, he's seeing all of the ball and taking lots of the shots as well. You don't get many players that do that. A lot of the players who shoot a lot don't see the ball much. And the players who see the ball much don't usually shoot a lot. Like, say, for example, Salah. Salah now. Salah doesn't make... He doesn't see the ball that much, but he shoots a lot. Same, you could say, for Harry Kane years gone by. I think last season he saw the ball a little bit more. But the players who see the ball all the time and shoot a lot as well. Coutinho was one of them. Uh, funnily enough, another one of them is Lionel Messi. And then you put them both in the same team at Barcelona and one of them ends up failing. You know, bit of a shock, but not for me. Um, so, yeah, when, when Coutinho was kind of that dominant player at Liverpool, although he was good enough to be dominant, it did, in a way, make Liverpool a little bit almost predictable uh, at times. And I think one of, the, one of the perks of him leaving was, I think Klopp said at the time, it, 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 the team was able to almost have a bit more balance split down the middle. There was a bit of an emphasis at the time. Klopp actually said this, that whenever they were in trouble, give the balls a fill. And I think it's probably similar for Villa. I can Absolutely. See that, that yeah. was, our tactic was Douglas Louise just spray it to the left and hope it goes to Jack Grealish. If it does, regroup and just don't do anything else until the ball comes to you again. That was that was Villa's tactic for a good portion of the season last season. And it, and it worked. But yeah. But with Grealish being that good, I don't, I'm not surprised that that was the tactic. But you could probably argue there's a ceiling for that. You know, there's a ceiling yeah. for, given that Grealish has been there for so many years, like Coutinho was there for so many years. He became that dominant player for Villa. And he was just, there's basically a reliance on him. With him not there and with Smith strengthening on the left as well as the right, probably to equal levels. You could argue Villa are now going to be almost more of a team, maybe a bit more balanced from side to side. So there's perks there, and it's perks that that Liverpool experienced when when Coutinho left. You know, there was kind of a, a changing of the guard almost, where the, the torch was passed to Salamani Firmino, whereas Coutinho kind of like left left that void. But the team was good enough to step up, and the way in which Liverpool replaced Coutinho with certain signings allowed Liverpool to continue moving forward. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about those signings because obviously that's the trick. Uh, Spurs, I don't think Spurs did as bad in the transfer market when they sold Gareth Bale. Yeah, they didn't kick on or whatever to the, to the degree probably they should have, but Liverpool certainly did. Let's talk about those signings because, as I say, it's going to be Villa's task to add to what we've done already to make sure that we don't become a Spurs and we become a Leicester or a Liverpool and, and, and kick on. So where when those signings were made, like, like, what was the core emphasis, I suppose, that Liverpool looked at when they made those signings? Well, I think Klopp looked at the team, basically, 
and assessed where Liverpool were weak, starting eleven wise. And at the time, Liverpool were a very top-heavy side. You know, we had a front four at times of Coutinho, Mane, Salah, Firmino, which is ridiculous. But then, on the defensive side of the game, um, we had Alberto Moreno at times. We had a Trent Alexander-Arnold, who was still a kid. Dejan Lovren was playing centre-back. Um, Joe Massa was in and out injured. Joe Gomez was still a kid. So Liverpool were weak defensively, really. Um, and a lot, a lot of the funds then, rather than being put towards a Coutinho replacement, which is what a lot of fans were calling for and what the natural solution would maybe be for a lot of clubs, Liverpool just didn't really need to do that. So we went and signed... It went and put virtually all of the budget to a new goalkeeper and Virgil van Dijk because that was where Liverpool were weak. Liverpool were weak from set pieces. Liverpool had good performances, but they couldn't translate those performances into results because of bad goalkeeping a lot of the time. You know, it's a low-scoring sport, so you can outplay the opposing team for 89 minutes. They have a shot from 30 yards, and if you've got a dodgy goalkeeper, it can just slip under his arm and you concede. And we had Simon Mignolet, so that was that, that happened. And we had Loris Carriers as well. Everyone knows what happened to him in the Champions League final and stuff. So Liverpool just kind of addressed how do we improve, but without really obsessing over the Coutinho replacement thing. You know, and I think Villa seems to have done similar. You know, they haven't looked for an absolute like for life of Grealish, although I think Wendy is quite similar, to be honest. They, they seem to kind of, they seem to have looked at Grealish what is Grealish? He's basically our whole attack. Right, let's build a whole new attack then and let's put all the budget to a striker and a left mid and a right mid and we'll just build a whole new attack because Grealish won't be there anymore. Yeah, and and I think that's something the fans have been really crying out for because last season we had one fit striker. Well, we had we Keenan Davis and, and, and it's, it's, it's probably, look, I don't want to be one of those guys that just piles in at a player because he doesn't score. But Keenan Davis never left us down when he was playing last season. Just the quality just wasn't there. And he's injured now again. And, you know, he's a bit, bit, bit unreliable from an injury point of view. But we won striker. And Ali Watkins plowed that lone furrow up front on his own. So even if you did go out and let's just say with the 100 million bought it, Anton Griezmann. You know, funny and all as it would be to see him rock up coming down New Street Station with his bags in his hand from Barcelona um, to, to to Villa Park. Um, I just don't think it would have been the greatest allocation of funds. Um, and like that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of pundits were saying that, you know, how do you replace Grealish? He's irreplaceable. So if somebody's irreplaceable, don't replace him. Try and make the whole team better. And and, and that's my kind of attitude from it as well. And, and Liverpool seem to have done that too, as you say. You know, they made the team better without focusing in on that replacement. And it puts an onus on the manager to back himself as well, that he can do that. And obviously, look, I, I, I think that maybe Villa fans won't mind me saying this because if they do, they might, uh, they might be very much so a carrot and blue back glasses on. But, you know, Klopp is, is, is a just renowned manager. He's going to go down in, in, in history as just kind of a... Manager to kind of changed the script a small bit and how teams looked at things. So he would have backed himself just like Dean Smith. I, I, I hope is going to back himself to change his formation this year. Um, so that's quite comforting to hear that uh, because of obviously the success that Klopp and the, the Liverpool have have um, have garnered from that. Oh. I, will, I will say I will say as well. Liverpool have in the past done the whole direct replacement thing when Liverpool lost Xabi Alonso. 
Um, <clears throat> we replaced him that summer with a player I, called Alberto Aquilani. Yeah, yeah, from I think it was from Roma, um, and he just weren't very good, and he arrived injured, and because of the like for like thing, he was just always directly compared with the man he replaced, and he never even got close to Xabi Alonso levels. So. That 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 is always kind of a cloud, maybe that hangs over those players. If you look at Spurs, when Spurs did their recruitment thing after selling Gareth Bale, they didn't directly replace Bale, but they dedicated a large portion of the money to Eric Lamella for about that was about thirty million. That, and he was deemed to be similar. You know, he's a wide player who scored goals and things. So, and I I think again similar with Lamella, he hasn't really lived up to the whole direct direct replacement thing, and it's generally I think a quite a bad idea personally I mean, I mean even if you look at Manchester United when he sold Cristiano Ronaldo I think Ferguson was wise enough to not try to just directly replace Ronaldo in exactly what he was as a player Ferguson just looked for other ways around it really just because it just never really works if it's to replace a player directly like that you've got to do you've got to get a serious player back in yeah, and it's, you know, I suppose you're not only playing against the team that you're playing, but you're playing against the ghost of the, the old player as well. Every time you said foot in the field, the expectation weighs heavy on people's hearts and minds and um, definitely in a fan base, uh, the, like uh, and a fan base that took one of their own in Jack Grealish to their hearts. So that's that's a really, really interesting uh, interesting um, point that you raised there. Um, with regards to, to Liverpool's transfers in general, over the last five, six years, they've been pretty savvy. You know, yes, they've spent money, but they've also recouped money. They've also brought money back in. And, and I'm fascinated, Josh, by the by the openness of this transfer committee. Talk to me about the transfer committee, because I don't know what to believe about it. I don't know whether it's this mythical magic eight ball that just seems to get it right or what's the crack with it. Uh, so talk to me a small bit about Liverpool's uh, transfer committee, because personally, I find it very intriguing. Well, I'll take you back a few years first. And uh, Fernando Torres was sold to Chelsea for about £50 million. And he was replaced with Andy Carroll. Yeah, talk about like for like replacement. We could, there's, <laughs> yeah, £35 million on Andy Carroll. Uh, not long after that, Liverpool sold Luis Suarez. And they replaced Luis Suarez pretty much with Mario Balotelli. So... The whole Liverpool recruitment thing has not been this refined. It really hasn't. It, it, it's been a case of trial and error under these owners, under FSG. Um, and early on, I think there was a fair few errors. I think that's safe to say. You know, Liverpool learns a lot of lessons and stuff. And But then gradually Liverpool started to, and specifically FSG, started to grasp how to run a recruitment process, basically. But... A lot of the early problems, you know, you mentioned transfer committees there. A lot of the early issues were to do with, with Brendan Rodgers, really, because because Brendan Rodgers had a perspective at the time, which I think has now changed. His perspective was, I'm in charge of the team, so I should be making the signings. And that is quite an old school approach now. Every, most clubs now have sporting directors. Because most managerial tenures at clubs are so short, it doesn't make sense for every manager to buy his own players because the managerial turnover is so quick. So clubs started to appoint these sporting directors so that regardless of who changes in the managerial seat, the the state of the squad 
and the balance of the squad is always kept intact by the sporting director, basically. But we had issues in it initially with that model because Rogers basically disagreed with it. So in the summer of 15-16, Liverpool signed Roberto Firmino, who was a committee signing. But to please Rogers, we signed Christian Benteke as well from Aston Villa, funnily enough. So that was kind of um, a bit of a, a bargain, if you like, between both parties, Liverpool and Liverpool's committee, if you like, Liverpool's data-driven approach and Brendan Rodgers. That was kind of what that was. Shortly after, you know, Rodgers was just at odds. He was at conflict with, uh, with the whole way of doing things, basically. What Klopp has done since Klopp came in, Klopp's firmly on board with this sort of stuff. Klopp's a lot more humble than Rodgers. Klopp's a lot more inclined to say, I'm not an expert. I need your help, basically. He's not, you know, arrogant or anything like that. So when it comes to that, Klopp's kind of... He's had he, he's had what he labels as the first and the last word. But everything in between is basically sorted by the data, the scouts, of which there isn't very many, um, and all that sort of stuff. And then Liverpool eventually decide on a player who is going to be worth signing. Some, some players... Some skills you, you have to sign, you know, but but in other departments, you might already have it in your squad. You might not need to sign, you know, certain things you, you, you have to sign for quality purposes. Like Liverpool, for example, had to get Van Dijk because we, we didn't have a centre-back anywhere near as good as that. So Liverpool have made those signs every now and then. And every now and then, when those signs have been made, most of them have been hit because of the the due diligence put in behind the scenes. Um, but Liverpool haven't made that many signs and they haven't spent loads either because Klopp just doesn't look at it like that. Klopp tries to find the solutions on the training ground uh, as opposed to the transfer market. And I think that was probably very evident last season when, you know, the I suppose realistically he had to make do with the defenders he brought in. Didn't bring any real big name defenders. Kabak. Yeah, look, were, were they as tight defensively? Absolutely not. But they still achieved their goal of getting, you know, getting to to a, a relatively, comf- uh, uh, not comfortable, but a relatively successful position in the Premier League. You know, and they did have have uh, quite a run in the Cups. But obviously, you know, you, he was cute enough to know, I will get Virgil van Dijk back at some stage. I don't need to blow 100 million on a defender. Whereas maybe teams like like United uh, in the past have maybe gone, oh no, we need to spend 80 million on Harry Maguire. And, and I, I think to this day, to the day he retires, I'll find it very difficult to justify spending 80 million on Harry Maguire just because of the type of defender he is. Um, and I know that people will, will, will disagree with that, but that's just, you know, it, it's kind of a good example that I've put in here. Liverpool could have gone away and maybe Liverpool could have gone away and bid 50 million for Tyrone Mings you know, in January yeah. and, and said, right, let's, let's, let's push on. And because he is a, a, a quote unquote ball playing center, uh, center half, he's a left footed center half as well. Maybe he could have played with Ming or with, with Virgil van Dijk when they, when he came back, might've been something that they made, might've done, but Klopp backed himself as a manager and he backed his, his, his ability to coach the team, I think, which is interesting. Yeah. But I think another crucial thing with that, you know, that whole center back situation during the season, Liverpool's approach to, to virtually everything, but specifically recruitment, it's it's always a medium to long term outlook yeah. on things. So 
Liverpool could have signed a centre-back in January, but they couldn't have signed Ibrahima Kanate from, from RB Leipzig. He was Liverpool's top centre-back target, obviously, but we couldn't get him in January. So you then you ask yourself the question then, you know, should we get him in January? Should we get an alternative in January or wait a few months and get our top target? And Liverpool opted to wait. I'm sure now they don't really regret it because they ended up finishing third anyway. But a lot of clubs would have jumped and panicked in that in that January window and signed second, third, fourth choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I personally really like the way my club do business. That I don't mind the whole sell-to-buy thing and... It it doesn't bother me whatsoever. I think it's I think it's an efficient model. I think it works. So I I I would have more issues if Liverpool went and spent 160 million on Harry Kane. That would bother me me more than hmm. the whole sell to buy approach that Liverpool seems to uh, favour. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think Aston Villa will get there at some stage to the sell to buy model. But obviously, look, just with golf and. I suppose in talent in the Premier League and 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 having to when you're a mid-table team and when you're a team that's you know just come up from the Championship two seasons ago, very very recently just staved off relegation. You know you need to spend your way out of trouble sometimes, and when you have the money to create that bit of quality in there in in the team, I think Villa need to do it. But I think over time they will become that way because you mentioned an interesting piece about sporting directors outliving the the um the the tenure of a, of a of a team manager we've got johan lange as our sporting director we've obviously got somebody who's who's uh liverpool know and christian perslow uh at the top of the club and, and we feel like we're being run by grown-ups for the first time in quite a while first time in probably a decade and 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 it's what you're saying what you've just said to me there about the the methodology that liverpool used it's quite familiar to what i'm seeing the methodology aston villa use now as well so it's uh it's really interesting and also bringing our kids through uh, through the academy, which is, uh, I think, for every Aston Villa fan, would always be exciting, given that we've just sold off one of our academy graduates for £100 million and uh, and the biggest tra- British transfer fee of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a big believer that you, you are <laughs> as good as your players. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Managers obviously make marginal differences and things like that, but at the end of the day, the first 45 minutes is played without... The manager being able to call a timeout or or whatever, and then he gets fifteen minutes in between, and then another forty five minutes gets played. So that's a long period of time for the players to basically own the pitch. Yeah. So when it comes to the manager, although I do, you know, play people like Jurgen Klopp is obviously a bit of a one off, I suppose, but for the most part, you're as good as your players, and that also means you're as good as your recruitment. At the end of the day. And any club that gets their recruitment in order, you will always find, regardless of who they've got in charge almost, they will start to climb, always. Um, whereas if you look at, you know, I used Arsenal as an example a few weeks back on a, on an, another Villa podcast because their recruitment over the years has been awful. And they've finished now eighth, two consecutive seasons. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, Arsenal finishing eighth was... It was never going to happen, you know. That was that was crazy when when I was growing up. So the fact that they just kind of fell to that. I think they did. Up. I think they finished in a low lowly position for Arsenal, and then they went out and they blew seven million on. Well, not blew it because he turned out to be one of their best ever players on Dennis Barkamp, and then everything was right in the world again with Bruce <laughs> Riach in charge the next season. So that's quite an actual good example of of of, of um of how a team is probably as good as the players that they have. Yeah, but I think specifically Villa. 
you know, the way Villa are intended on climbing the table, you, you need to be really, really good on the recruitment side and you need to sign players who are not really at your level now. You need to sign players who are, who are almost above your level so that they can raise your club higher. So yeah. I, I said I said earlier, when it comes to wings, Bailey and Buendia, I think you could certainly argue that they are top six players. And Aston Villa aren't yet a top six club, but that's how you that's how you climb. You get in players who are that level, and they will they will get you there. They will they will drag you up to another another standing basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, personally, I'm very very excited about Ashley Young, not just for the nostalgic reasons, but just because I don't know that man has found the fountain of youth. I don't know how he stays so fit and nimble and scored a goal for, for Villa against, um, I can't pronounce the name, Salernitania, I think is what the, I can't. It's one of the few teams in, in, in world football I can't pronounce the name of. It just always tongue ties me. But he scored a goal for Villa yesterday and, you know, he just ghosted into the box and stood in the penalty spot just like he did 15 years ago, you know. So there's there's a lot of excitement, I think, and we got him for free. So once again, when you talk about horses for courses, finding a data-driven approach for a player, I very much so think that Ashley Young, albeit up there in age, his experience and, and what he still has left in the tank, I think is going to be is going to complement those players that you just mentioned as well for for Aston Villa. Um, yeah, sorry, well, I, I, I don't, sorry, mate. I don't, I don't mind those signings at all. Providing that they're done, kind of every now and then, almost. You know, when you're starting yeah. to get too yeah. many of the aging players in, maybe you can cause squad problems, but. I think when it comes to Ashley Young, obviously he's got a good mentality. He's been at the club before. You can't you really know what you're getting? You're going to want a free transfer, I think. So yeah, yeah. So that I've got no issues at all with that deal. And obviously he's very versatile as well. He can play in the forward line if you need him to. He can play in either fullback role. So yeah, good sign. I'm hoping he's going to be kind of a catalyst, like when Liverpool scored Gary Mack or, or signed Gary Mack back in the day. And uh, obviously he was up there in age, but. Like literally, if you just mention his name to any of my Liverpool sporting mates, they just kind of like they look into the sky and think of what they had with with those couple of years with uh, with Gary Mack in the team. But hopefully, Ashley Young will be like that. Um, Josh, thank you so much for popping on. Um, really enjoyed that chat. It's something a small bit out, of, uh, not in the nor- ordinary that I would have on the podcast. But I just find it so intriguing that you know that the only way you learn, the only way you make learnings is maybe from other teams' mistakes or from your own mistakes. And and Liverpool didn't make too many mistakes when they had to when they had to go through something like this. And I'm kind of encouraged. I feel really, really encouraged. And and the more I'm listening, and the more I'm talking to other, and 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 I'm kind of thinking about the situation Aston Villa are in. I'm kind of buoyed. And I never thought I'd be like that when I, when Jack Grealish left. Um, albeit for good money, that we're owned by grown-ups, we're run by grown-ups, we're run by people who are embracing the new age and the new era and not just, you know, thinking about the short term and everything you've said to me there based on what Liverpool did and continue to do is very familiar, as I say, from what I've seen. So so thanks so much for popping on and, and giving your insight on that, on that Josh. Um, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, as I said, when it comes to Liverpool over the years, I've seen Liverpool do it right and I've seen Liverpool do it wrong. <laughs> and when it comes to what Villa are doing now, if Villa were doing anything wrong, I would I feel like I would see it, I would recognise it, I'd flag it. Mm. But I, I am inclined to think that the way Villa have gone about replacing their best player is the right way. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah, thanks for the invite, mate. Yeah. I was gonna ask you about Danny Ings, but like 
I'd say he played as many times. He only played as many times for Liverpool as I potentially will in my entire career. So um, I thought it was a small bit unfair to ask you about Ings because of the small sample set. So uh, <laughs> I left that, that question off the, off the, the, the programme sheet. But uh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Where can, where can everyone find your find your stuff? I mentioned on Twitter there, you're at distance covered. Um, but where can everyone find your stuff? You're on the Liverpool Echo Blood Red uh, channel as well. Um, tell us all where we can find you. Yeah, so for those who are listening in who are Liverpool fans, of which I doubt there's very many. You'd be surprised. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm Irish, uh, I, you know, everybody in Ireland supports United and Liverpool. There's very few <laughs> Villa fans, so. Yeah, I have a, I have a weekly analysing Anfield show on, um, as you say, the Liverpool Echoes Blood Red channel. It is Liverpool, but it's it's very football as well, and it's very analytic stuff. So if you didn't see your numbers, if you didn't see your stats, mm. data and all that, then, you know, have a look at it, have a listen to it, see what you think. If it's too Liverpool, by all means, tune out. But I like to think that anyone who's listening who's not a Liverpool fan will also lay in quite a lot. So, yeah, listen to that if you can. And uh, on Twitter, as you say, I am at Distance Covered and quite active on Twitter. So if you want to follow me where, just give us a follow. Absolutely. And uh, I've, I've been, you know, as I've listened to one or two of those podcasts, as I say, um, I know there's quite a lot of people here that listen to opposing teams podcasts when it comes time to play them. And I don't think you'll find a better one to, to analyze how Liverpool play or have played in the previous games than um, than the analyzing for the podcast as well. So please, guys, give it give it a check out. Um, Josh, once again, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks a million to everybody who listens to the podcast, watches the podcast, sends us well wishes, everything. I keep on saying it in every podcast and I mean it every time. I really appreciate everything you do. I'm just one guy sitting here in my room in, uh, in, in, in Ireland and to have the interaction with Aston Villa fans and every fan of every club is fantastic. So thank you so much for everything you do. We're getting close to the season. I think we nearly have a podcast up every day this week, I think, in anticipation of the season. And my uh, my old mucker, Paddy, will be back off his jollies in the coming... Well, he's actually back today. So um, the ranting man from... Uh, man, ranting dub now in exile in Limerick will be um, will be back to give out about all things Premier League and all the referees in, in the Premier League over the coming weeks. So uh, tune in for that. Um, so once again, as I said, Josh, thank you so much for popping on. Um, it's onwards and upwards for Aston Villa. I'm very buoyed by what I've heard. And for everybody out there, all that's left to say is up the Villa. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.